So today we're going to be in Psalm 3. So if you have your Bible, or you can follow there. There's scriptures in your scripture sheet. They'll be on the screen as, as well this morning. Um, and you'll notice, as I, as I read it together, I want you to be aware of this. It's not in your scripture sheet. I'm not sure if it's on the screen or not. But in your Psalms, uh, if there's a heading, uh, a little introductory comment in your Bible, more often than not, that is actually the first verse in the Hebrew Bible. That is actually in the passage itself. They were part of the scriptures. They often shed light on what the psalmist has to say in a particular psalm. And in Psalm 3, that is certainly the case. So it begins by saying, A psalm of David when he fled from Absalom his son. And then we read from there. O Lord, how my adversaries have increased. Many are rising up against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no deliverance for him in God. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory, and the one who lifts my head. I was crying to the Lord with my voice, and he answered me from his holy mountain, Selah. I lay down and slept. I awoke, for the Lord sustains me. I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people who have set themselves against me round about. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you have smitten all my enemies on the cheek. You have shattered the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be upon your people. And as we have read, this psalm was written when David, it says, fled from Absalom his son. Anybody ever done that? (laughs) Anybody ever had a son that they had to run away from? Had that level of family discord in your life? Well, think about what this must have been like for David. The backstory here is David is the king in Jerusalem. His son Absalom raises up an army to come and overthrow his father. We read this week about what went on in Haiti with the assassination of the president there. Terrible, terrible story. Imagine how much worse it would be if the assassin was the son of that president. The woe that David is going through here is really unimaginable for us. How does faith prepare us to cope with the greatest troubles this life will ever bring our way? We saw back in the spring that if we build our spiritual house on truth, that that we can endure the storms of of this life. Today, and with this psalm, we want to ponder together, briefly, precisely how one copes, how one endures, and how one can turn the trials of this life into stepping stones for personal growth and even for joy. So our message today has two simple points. The first is the reality of trouble. The reality of trouble. David is responding here to a king-size bad day. I mean, again, you think you have trouble with your kids? David had a son who abused his daughter. He then had another son who, in retaliation against his brother, murdered him. So so this kind of stuff that went on in the family of King David makes the sibling rivalry maybe in your household look more like sibling revelry in comparison. And, And to make matters worse for the king, he knew exactly why this was happening. 
In 2 Samuel 12, when Nathan the prophet came to David to rebuke him for his sin of adultery, he spoke this word from God. He said, Now therefore the sword shall never depart from your house, because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against you from your own household. So the same brother-killing son, his name was Absalom, later puts together an army, runs his father right off the throne, out of the palace, and out of the city of Jerusalem. Chapter 15, verse 30 of 2 Samuel says, David went up the ascent of the Mount of Olives and wept as he went, and his head was covered, and he walked barefoot. Then all the people who were with him each covered his head and went up weeping as they went." And not much later than that, David would pen the words that we have read this morning from Psalm 3. The context then helps us understand the first line, uh, or the first couple of lines, where he says, O Lord, how my adversaries have increased, many are rising up against me. And as I said, I only have two points today. The first is the reality of trouble. The reality of trouble. Say that with me. The reality of trouble. To some degree or another, we're all going to have these very bad days. The routine kind you and I have occasionally, or the kind David had, the kind of days that are absolutely full of heartache and pain. Some troubles of this life, some of them, some of them can be avoided by godly living, but many cannot. Many cannot. Other troubles cannot be avoided no matter how closely we walk with the Lord. And what's more, godly living actually brings with it a certain special kind of trouble that we call persecution or opposition. If you take a stand for Christ in your family, maybe in your business world, maybe in your community, there will come a time when you can say with David, Oh Lord, how my adversaries have increased. Many are rising up against me. Now, listen, you can overdo this as a Christian. I know believers who glory in rousing up opposition. They seem to feed on controversy and, and, and hate. Not many are like that, but I've met a few in my life like that. Some even flatter themselves by exaggerating in their minds the ranks of the opposition. But we too can kid ourselves if we think that nobody is going to oppose us because of our faith. Somebody, something, somehow is going to come up against you and you need to be ready to respond. For David, it was a rebel son with a rebel army, an army that has driven him off the throne of the capital city. And now he's out in the desert having run away with his entourage. He's probably laying in a tent somewhere in the desert of Judea, contemplating what has just happened to him. He's probably not counting his blessings, naming them one by one. He's counting his cursings. How is the man of God going to respond? Well, what are some of the possibilities that we have here? I mean, this is a pretty awful blow. You might expect that David will become bitter. Many do. 
He might shake his fist at the God who, who made him king. He might say, here I've been serving you all these years. I've fought your battles. I've sung your songs. And look at what you've done to me. Why, God, you called me a man after your own heart. But if this is how you treat your friends, it's no wonder you have so few of them. Some of you, some of us would be angry at God, wouldn't we? Then others of us, based on our personality, wouldn't be angry, at least not in a volatile way. You would be what you like to call disappointed, you know? I'm not sure exactly the distinction between anger and disappointment. They're, they're cousins, at least, if not brothers. Uh, but you're disappointed, and rather than scream at God, you will just withdraw. You won't be at church anymore. You may say a table blessing for the kids' sake, I'd give them a little bit of religion in their life, but you're really pretty much done with an earnest seeking after God. You've looked at your trials, not as God's way of wooing you to himself, but as proof that God is a liar, that his word must not be true. Your reaction to your circumstances, your reaction to these things that God providentially brings into your life, it is a choice that you make. It is a choice that you make. I just finished reading a book by Steve Arterburn entitled, Healing is a Choice. <laughs> and he makes the point that some people in the midst of their pain opt to stay in their pain and to remain bitter and broken as opposed to choosing the way uh, of, of healing. They don't see it that way, but that is the reality. There is an optional response to bitterness and anger and withdrawal, and we see that in the testimony of Brother David. So having looked in at the reality of trouble, let's now ponder together the possibility of peace. The possibility of peace. By the end of this passage or this psalm, David is saying, salvation belongs to the Lord. Say that with me. Salvation belongs to the Lord. David is not, at the end of the psalm, found cursing God but praising God. He's not found in turmoil but apparently at peace. And we have to ask the question, how can that be? How can there be peace in a day like this? God's Word tells us it is possible to have a peace, what's the language of Philippians, that surpasses all comprehension. That exceeds the ability of human beings to understand how someone can walk in peace in their circumstances. But notice that such a peace as that is first of all found in God. It is found in God. It's not found by a babbling brook or on top of a mountain so much as it's found in a relationship with the living God, after describing briefly his woes in the first two verses, David begins verse 3 by saying, but you, but you, but you. And I love it when the scriptures do this. The Bible will describe a situation in all of its human bleakness and hopelessness, and then they point you to God as the rescuer. They picture Moses there at the Red Sea, the Red Sea in front of him, the army of Pharaoh coming up behind him, and then it says, but God, but God. They show little David standing there in front of the giant Goliath, about a three to one weight and height advantage for the giant, 
But God, they show Elijah facing up to 400 prophets of Baal and a king that hated him. Tough place to be, but God. Daniel stuck in a lion's den, ready to become their lunch, but God. They show Joseph down in Egypt, forgotten and left to, to rot in a prison in Egypt, but God. Another but God is in Ephesians chapter 2, and it's my favorite of all. It says, you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest, read the rest with me, but God. No matter how deep the depravity, no matter how desperate the occasion, no matter how mighty the opposition, we learn from God's Word that there is always a solution in God. And that is where we must look. David doesn't look to himself. He doesn't say, but I. You hear that a lot, don't you? Things were difficult, but I. <laughs> no, no but you. He, seeks, he looks to heaven, he says, but you. My, my friend, if you'll just talk to God in the day of your trouble, that's half the battle right there, remembering the Lord, bringing him into the situation, speaking to him in prayer. But David does better. He speaks in affirmation about his God. He actually gives thanks in the midst of his difficulties. He says, but you, O Lord, are a shield about me. He contrasts God with the many. He says, many are after me. Many are trying to discourage me. Many are opposing me. The implication of what follows is that the many are irrelevant in comparison. Amen? They truly are. We have to get this into our head. Reality for us is not determined by the polls. If the Harris Polling Agency had been around 3,000 years ago, they would have probably found that about 78% of the population of Israel believed that God's favor had left King David just as it had left his predecessor, Saul. He was finished, they would have thought. The golden boy had lost his shine. That's what the many were saying about David. But David never did care about what the many had to say. He had an ear... He had an ear tuned in to God's channel. When God came and spoke to him through Nathan about his terrible sin, God said David would suffer, but he also said this to David, your sins are forgiven you. He told him his sins were forgiven. And David understood both elements of what Nathan said, the suffering and the forgiveness. He knew the Lord was still there for him. That was the promise of the prophet. So that is where he turns for peace. And so it says, but you, O Lord, are a shield about me. David calls God three things in this passage. The first thing he says is he's a shield. Several times in Scripture, especially in the Psalms, the Lord is referred to as being a shield. Way back in Genesis 15, verse 1, he said this to Abraham. Do we have this, Linda? There we go. The word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not fear, Abram. I am a, what? I'm a shield to you. Your reward shall be very great. The point is obvious. A shield. God offers us a certain protection from the assaults of the enemy. A warrior with a shield was well protected. As long as he kept that shield between himself and 
the enemy, right? If you have multiple attackers coming at you from different angles, shields become notably less, less effective. But when God is your shield, it matters not how many there are against you. He is a shield around about us. The second thing the Lord calls, or that David calls the Lord is, he's my glory, my glory. For God to be my glory means that he, not me, he is the one who gives me weight, who gives me status. It is a confession that in myself, I am nothing. Any glory, any weight, any significance that I have, it's all about God. And then thirdly, God is called by the psalmist, the lifter of my head. And maybe you know a song that goes with that line, don't you? And I assume you probably, when you hear that line, he's the lifter of my head, you probably think of the same thing that, that, that I do. Um, it speaks of how God ministers to, he, he restores the one who is cast down. For some reason, I always think of an old television commercial for Lifesavers. <laughs> and uh, as I remember the uh, commercial, I couldn't find it online. So I remember the commercial, it's a boy that has just lost his little league game and he's walking off the field and he's down and dejected and feeling badly about himself. And his grandpa is walking with him as they walk away from, from the field. The world, this little boy's world is dark and grim and without light until the grandpa reaches into his pocket and offers him a lifesaver. <clears throat> and for that candy, the boy lifts up his head, looks at his grandpa, and renews his hope. <laughs> Well, God does that for us. <laughs> he, he picks us up when we are down. He dusts us off. He becomes our lifesaver. He becomes the lifter of our head. And that is what David is saying as he says that his, his dismal circumstances were overpowered by a peace that he was able to find in God. Oh, Evan Bright is here today. Happy birthday. <laughs> Didn't see y'all back there behind the, uh, behind the barricade. Secondly, now, this piece is also found in faith. It's found in faith. Uh, go back to Nancy's illustration here with the kids. You know, that connectivity is where the, the power was there in whatever that device was you had, but the connection that was made brought, brought it to light. And faith is that connection that joins us to God. The fact is that even when God is our shield, if we have not come to rely upon Him, then we lack the comforts of His presence. We are like uh, Christian and hopeful in the Pilgrim's Progress. Uh, great book. Uh, some of our uh, read it in Sunday school the last, last term. But they were, uh, in, they were imprisoned and despairing in Doubting Castle owned by the giants, uh, and, uh, and until, until Christian remembered that he had been given a key precisely made for moments like that. He always had the key, but was filled with anxiety and despair until he remembered it. In the same way, the believer, though God watches over us, will be anxious unless we remember 
the Lord's gifts, his promise, his presence. That's why I say our peace is also found in our faith, which is the bridge between God's promises and our emotions. Our faith is the bridge between God's promises and our emotions. The promises may still be true, but if the faith is not in place, it doesn't show up in the way that we emote. So there are three things in the Psalms that testify of David's faith. The first is in verse 4, where he covers. He ordains, what he ordains is typically preceded by prayer. That's why prayer is such a tremendous source of comfort to the saints of God. It is depicted in, in Scripture as an agency of peace. Psalm 55, 22. Cast your burden upon the Lord, and he will sustain you. He will never allow the righteous to be shaken. So believing prayer, it is God's shock absorber for us. In David's case, it was also evidence of his faith. Secondly, David expressed his faith in verse 7 by declaring victory ahead of time. Arise, O Lord, save me, O God, for you have smitten all my enemies on the cheek. You have shattered <coughs> the teeth of the wicked. And David writes this as though it were a done deal. And that's how sure you and I can be. We fight from victory unto victory. We can celebrate final triumph before we are ever crowned the victors. That does not mean we quit fighting. You know, the book of Revelation tells us the end of the story and who ultimately wins, but it is given to us not to enable us to sit back and do nothing, but to fight the fight with confidence and vigor, and we fight with gratitude as well. That's the attitude behind verse 6. Look there. I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people. Why not? Verse 8 says, salvation belongs to the Lord. Say that with me. Salvation belongs to the Lord. That is why not. Thirdly, David expressed his faith most powerfully and eloquently in the silence of his sleeping. Having lifted up his prayer to God, having trusted his soul to the Lord, the psalmist now does something amazing in verse 5. It says, he lay down and he slept. Now that speaks volumes, doesn't it? And uh, at this point, if there is somebody uh, sitting close to you who is sleeping, go ahead and uh, nudge them a little bit. Time, time to wake them up. Go ahead, do that. And some of you, I welcome you back. I was just speaking of sleeping as an expression of trust. So we commend you. <laughs> as your pastor, I will accept snoozing as an expression of trust. I read of one pastor who chided an elder in his church because he was always sleeping during the pastor's sermon. And the older elder said to the younger pastor, Son, that doesn't mean that your sermons bore me. It just means I trust you. <laughs> Sleep is often an indicator of trust, isn't it? When you have taken the weight of the world on yourself, it's hard to relax. But when you have cast your burdens on the Lord... Then you can go to sleep. In the midst of all that he was going through, David had the grace, David had the faith to sleep. <laughs> I'm an easy sleeper, by the way. 
If I was uh, not up here standing up, I'd probably fall asleep during many of my sermons. Uh, and, and my kids tease me about that. They know how easily I fall asleep. But you know one occasion I, don't, I didn't fall asleep as a, as, a, as a dad? When I was teaching my teenagers how to drive. <laughs> I remember uh, I, took a, I was speaking at a conference in North Carolina when my, our son Andrew was about 15 or 16. And, and so I took him with me, and uh, he was allowed to drive. Uh, and uh, Beth, Beth does a lot of driving when we go together, and I do a lot of sleeping in the car. But when my 16-year-old uh, was driving, <laughs> I, I could not sleep for nothing uh, on that trip because when you're uptight, when you're not confident, when Jesus isn't at the wheel, <laughs> but your teenage kid, it's a different game altogether. Uh, we can make too much of this, but the capacity to relax uh, and rest is a, is a great thing and a real sign of faith. David did it in the midst of incredible distress and danger. On the other hand, some of us are living in the comforts and safety of the North Hills of Pittsburgh with our alarm systems and our police officers roaming the streets uh, to nab the occasional bad guy that's out there, and yet we are still a bundle of nerves. One of my favorite verses from Proverbs is about the wicked flea. <laughs> the wicked flea, yeah, the wicked flea when no one is pursuing. That's what it says. The wicked flee when? When no one's pursuing. You know what that means? They generate fears without any reasonable basis. They cannot relax even when there is no danger. But the righteous, the next part of that verse says, the ones who trust in the Lord are bold as a lion, and God enables them to sleep in the midst of their distress because they know they have a shield that works even when they are not working. Our shield and our glory does not need our help. So relax, rest. David says in verse 5, I lay down and slept, and I awoke, for the Lord sustains me. Praise God. So here's what we learned then from Psalm 3. We cannot always control our circumstances. Most of this world, in fact, is outside of our control. How many of you are bothered by that reality? Yeah? I know I am. Most of the world is outside of our control. It is. But we are responsible for our responses to what's happening around us. Someone said, God chooses what we go through. We choose how we go through it. I got a letter from a woman uh, in Texas who used to attend our church, a, a lovely young woman by the name of Lisa, who right after she got married became ill, very ill. In fact, she developed a, a rare problem I've never heard of before or since, paralysis of the stomach. And Lisa has not been able to eat solid food for two years. She has to live near a hospital. Uh, Lisa listens online to our services and has become an encouragement to me. A letter from her said this, I cannot thank you and the church enough for giving me a foundation in faith that has helped carry me through the tough times. I'm trying to listen and learn more and more about our awesome God. I feel like a baby taking new steps. My bad health pushes me down, but I have to get, up, get back up. I want to turn this tragedy into triumph. I want to grow closer to God. Many times I feel I cannot, but God picks me up and carries me. 
So what is your trial of the week? Mine don't rate with Lisa's. They don't rate with David's. But regardless of the size of our trouble, the way of peace for us, it's always the same. We cry out to the Lord. We declare His triumph. And we rest in Him who is our shield, our glory, and the one who lifts our heads. So we should sing to the Lord about that. I invite Andy and his team on up, and uh, let's close in prayer, and then we'll turn it over to our team to lead us in worship around these themes. Father God, we thank you for our brother David, for what you chose to take him through, and for the lessons we can learn through his experience and his trials and his faith that look to you. We bless you, O oh God, that you are our shield, you are our glory, and you are the lifter of our heads. Remind us of these things, whether it's Wednesday morning or years from now when the great trial of our life comes our way, that we might respond with faith that lays hold of you and is able to sleep even in the midst of the storm. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.